Amen. I was debating about just coming up here and closing an invitation. It was amazing. A couple things uh, run through my mind as we sing that song. Uh, Kelsey read from Revelation, and uh, this is just warm-up. This is just getting ready, because uh, one day we'll sing those things before his very throne. And uh, it's just amazing. And can you think about that? The tens upon tens upon tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of angels just shouting and singing praise to worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so what an amazing uh, opportunity we have this side of heaven as the body of Christ to get a little taste, just a little taste. I'm talking like when you're at a Chinese place, a little piece on a toothpick, that kind of a little taste of what heaven will be like when we stand and we sing and lay everything before him. It's going to be an amazing time. And so we praise God for that. Um, another thing crossed my mind, and so some of you may have already noticed. Do you hear it? Do you hear the cricket? So last Sunday, last Sunday, we heard, I heard the cricket at some point, and Greg and I both came down at different times trying to find the cricket. But what happens with the cricket when you know the cricket's there and you go looking for the cricket? Yes. But here's my thought, though, and, and this is just something that literally dawned on me that I was like, there, we sang a, sign, a line in there. We said, with all creation, I sing. Amen. And so all of creation is praising him this morning. Amen. And so I know it, might, it bothers me, but, I mean, I, I, you know, people who stand too close to me when I sing probably are bothered by the way I worship and sing and praise. But um, it's the same thing. So, but I am excited for this morning, and I'm excited for our fifth week in Conversations with God. And so uh, we were supposed to finish up, I think this should have been our last week, but we're going to go at least one more week, maybe two. Um, because you guys know me, I, it's either four, six, or eight. I, a seven? Who ends a series at seven? Who does that? So it's four, six, or eight. So Lord... You're in control, but this is my desire, okay? Like, help me to end on a six or an eight, and we're already going to go over six, so it's just, it is what it is. So, um, so uh, when we look at uh, this morning's Conversations with God, we've covered a lot of theories, and so we've talked a lot about some different things. If you've missed any of them, you can go back. We talked about the app a little while ago. You can also down, go on our website and find all the sermons on there. You can actually, I believe you can go back and find at least 2020. You may be able to, able to go back and find 2018. I'm not sure, but it should be on there. But you can also get those on CD form as well, which somebody actually did recently, which kind of blew me away. I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, and so if you want to do that, check that out. Lots of topics that we covered in previous series that were Conversations with God. Um, um, obviously, in 2018 and 2020, uh, we talked about po- what would God say about politics, what would God say about heaven, hell, faith, church, prayer, um, what would God say about homosexuality, uh, what would God say about abortion. Like, we covered a ton of topics. And this time around, we've covered a lot of topics as well. This time, what I did was I opened it up and I said, hey, what are some things that you have questions on. If you could sit down with have coffee with God, what would you want to talk to God about? And so we've covered a few of those as well. This morning, we're going to answer another one that was kind of submitted uh, through online. And so we're going to be talking about why the mysterious journey, why the mysterious journey. And so to get us kind of going down this thought with our minds, I want to ask a question. How many of you, if you're driving somewhere for the very first time, you've never been there before, okay, wherever it is, You've never been there. You're in the car by yourself. You are meeting some people there who know where they're going, but you've never been there before, okay? You're not even familiar with the area. 
How many of you, if you could choose, would prefer to have clear directions from where you are to where you need to go? How many of you would like to have directions to go somewhere you've never been? Okay, clear directions. There you go. Sorry. I need to put that that little word clear, okay? Because we get a lot of directions that aren't so clear, okay? It's go down to this store and hang a left. Like, what is that? Like, east, west, north? Where are we going? What's the road name? Um, But all of us would agree, unless you're adventurous, and some of you are like, nope, I want adventure. We just drive. Like, that's cool. But if you're going somewhere and you got to be somewhere by a certain time, it is better to have the directions than not. I think we would all agree with that. But sometimes in this Christian life, we feel just like that. We feel like we're going somewhere. We kind of know where we're going to end up, but we don't really know how we're going to get there. And so we kind of feel confused at times, and we don't really have clear directions at times. We have a loose idea, but we're not 100% sure. And in this Christian life, it can feel that way. I just want to acknowledge to you, it's okay to feel that way. Some of you grew up in places where it was like, if you dared to say, I'm not sure you would get shouted down and told to have more faith. And that's fine. We should have faith. But there are times in our Christian life, let's be real to say, God, I just don't get what you want me to do. Like, I don't get where you want me to go. I don't get, I kind of think you want me to go this way, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. And it's okay to acknowledge that in your walk with Christ. It's not a lack of faith to go to God in faith and say, "Would, would you show me? Would you guide me? Would you direct me? But I was thinking about that with, with the first time I went down to BBC, where I went to school, which is in Springfield, Missouri. And the first time I was going down there, I keep looking back because I'm fearful I'm going to miss the chair. Okay, just so you know, you're like, why do you look three times? Because I thought I was going to miss the chair, okay? Um, and this is all on recording, so we don't need that on the internet, okay? Um, or maybe we do. We get a lot of attention on our church. But anyway, uh, the Church of the Fallen Pastor. That's what we can call it. But not that kind of fallen. You know what I'm saying? Not that kind of fallen. Um, so when I was going down to school the first time, uh, we didn't have GPS. Obviously, I didn't even have a cell phone. Um, I had MapQuest. Okay? How many of you guys remember MapQuest? Okay? MapQuest was great unless you, you know, did it like a week before and there was construction that hadn't been updated on MapQuest yet. And I remember even with MapQuest, driving to Springfield, Missouri, which, I mean, I had never ever had gone that far away from Michigan before. Um, And so for me, I was like, well, I don't even know this area. I kind of know where Missouri is, but that's about it. Once I get in Missouri, I don't know where I'm going. And I had MapQuest. I had a map. I had step-by-step directions, and it was just on a piece of paper, though, and it didn't really adjust. If I made a wrong turn, I have to pull out the map and, okay, I guess I got to go back this way or come back this way. But even though I had some directions, every time I got off an interstate or took an exit or got off somewhere, I always had this like hesitancy. I really hope that was right. Anyone been there? I really hope, I mean, you're not going to say it out loud usually because you're like, well, you know, I'm a man and I just, the direction we're going is the right direction. That's how it is. Okay. I'm going to choose. We're going to go. I don't need no help. Okay. I was not like that though. I was like in that paper, like, I really don't want to get lost in Missouri. Okay. And so I felt a little hesitancy having some direction. We feel that way. But I've also thought, man, how blessed are we to have GPS that you can just punch in your phone or if you still use like a Garmin or whatever and you punch it in there or in your car itself and it'll tell you where to go. And I've always thought if I designed a GPS, like it would be much more aggressive GPS. It wouldn't be kind. It wouldn't be like, oh, you know, please go ahead and take this exit. It'd be like, hey, turn here. Like it'd be really direct because I need someone to shout at me, get off the interstate, like turn here. 
But we think about that. Even there, like, could you imagine if your GPS acted as we feel God acts sometimes when we're looking for direction? Like, because there's times when you ask God for direction and he doesn't always, through his word or the moving of the spirit, he doesn't always seem to answer, right? It's just silence. Like, could you imagine you're driving down the road and you're like, Lord, I need to know, do I take exit four or exit five? Could you just guide me in this? I want to make the right choice, Lord. So what direction would I take? And it's just silence. And you're getting a little closer, you're getting a little closer. And you're like, Lord, I I really need to know. It's about three miles away. Do I take exit four or exit five? I'm praying about this. I want your wisdom. I want you glorified in this. Uh, Lord, this morning I was reading in Ecclesiastes uh, 10.12 or 10.2 rather that says, you know, the the fool takes the left, but the wise inclines his heart to the right. And, And exit five is on the right and exit four is on the left. And so I feel like I should take exit five, but I'm not really sure if that's what you have me to do, Lord. So would you just discern this for me? And it's silence. There's nothing. And then so finally it's like, Lord, okay, it's, I, there's the merge that I need to get over. I'm just going to get over. We get over. We take exit five and we go, Lord, I took exit five. I'm really sorry if that was the wrong exit to take. Give me wisdom and discernment to make the right choice the next time. And we feel this way in our walk with Christ sometimes. We just feel like, I, I'm just wondering, does, does this verse, does this really apply to the situation? And then we pray about it and it seems as though God is kind of silent. And so we make a choice, and then we regret the choice, and then we wonder if it was the right choice, and then we're like, Lord, maybe I should have taken that direction, not this one. And some of us have spent months or even years replaying a moment in our mind, thinking, well, if I would have done this, maybe that would have been what God would have had me to do. And we feel defeated sometimes, or we feel like we're not a good Christian. Like, I didn't really do right by that. So if we could sit down with God right now, you can have coffee with God in person, And you could ask him a simple question. God, why seemingly is it a mysterious journey? Why is it not clearer? I think many of us, if we're honest, if you really want to follow Christ and grow in Christ, some of you are living a Christianity right now that is what we call surface Sundays. Or maybe I just kind of called it that. I'm sure somebody else has too. I don't want to say I'm the only one, but... But just surface Sundays. What's surface Sunday? I go to church on Sunday morning. I do my thing. I put some money in the plate. I sing a couple songs. I feel really good about my walk with Jesus because I got fired up and I go home and, and then I'll see you next Sunday morning. There's no real daily connection with God. There's no daily engaging the word of God. There's no actual community in the church because I don't know how we build community when we only are with the people for an hour and a half a week. And that's our only connection with them. How are we really building community? And I'm not talking about just here in the building at other services, but also in fellowship. But I will say this. One of my favorite services, just so you know, I love every time we meet together, but I think I really, really, really like, like Wednesday nights. And the reason is because, man, I love just getting to know people in a little bit better way. And so for me, that's what I'm talking about, this community. So some of us, as, as followers of Christ, you're just living that surface Sundays. That's just, you're just committed to that. That's the decision you've made. And so for you, you're not really spending every day going, man, God, do you really want me to do this or that? You're just kind of doing your thing, and God just, hopefully you can keep up. And you get to the end of your week, and you throw up a little prayer, God, I'm sorry if I did anything I shouldn't have done this week. Help me to follow you better next week. We really don't mean it, but it sounds spiritual, so we throw it up there. Man, we need to ask ourselves, God, how are you leading me? How are you guiding me? 
How are you engaging in this life that I can know what direction you'd have me to take? How would you have me to live my day? So we have to kind of pause here and ask, does God keep everything a mystery? Is there any way that we can even have any idea of what God would have us to do with our lives? Why the mysterious journey? Why not spell it all out? Why not make it clear? Why not give me everything you're going to do in the next 10 years? Lord, I want a two-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and a 30-year plan. If you could just do that for me, that'd be great. Well, the reality is there are some things that God makes very clear for us. And there are some some things that we're never going to know this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean that he's not leading us and guiding us. And the reality is this. If God told you what the next six months held for you, you'd quit. Because here's the thing that makes biblical Christianity different from the stuff you see online sometimes or on TV. God will take you through some trials. And it's in the plan. (laughs) Now, we go through trials sometimes because we make the wrong choice and we sin, right? This doesn't really apply to that, though. I mean, I'm not saying we sit and go, "Mm, Lord, I'm having this bitterness towards my neighbor I'm kind of thinking about going over there and vandalizing his property and taking revenge. Could you just guide me in that? Like, what would your will be in this moment? Not applied. Obviously, we don't openly sin towards someone else and go, well, God, it just wasn't clear, you know. But in the areas of other areas of our life where we're really wanting to know, God, do I, do I move here? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do I take that job? Do I do this ministry? We feel as though, God, I just wish you would just make it clear. And there's times where if he really laid out for us what he was going to do, and we saw that there'd be great times of blessing, but then times of growing through a trial or a season of difficulty that he is allowing into our lives so that we will pursue him, so that we will grow in him, and then therefore we'll be stronger for that trial we're going to face in 10 years that we don't even know is, is coming. We're not ready for it yet, but, but we're going to get ready for it. Man, if we saw all of that, we would go, no, I'm done. But the stuff online, these guys on TV, they'll just tell you, no, if it's God's plan, it's all good all the time. No trials, no struggles, no nothing. It's more like those fortune tellers we go to that just tell us you always get the raise, always get the promotion, always get the girl, always get the guy. But God, because he loves us so much as a heavenly father who cares for us and is more concerned with our character than our comfort. He will shape us, Romans talks about, as clay. He will prune us, John 15, so that we will produce fruit, more fruit, and much more fruit. But sometimes pruning can be painful because he's got to cut away some things that are getting in the way of what we really can be in Christ. And so how do we discern all of this? Really, when we say, why the mysterious journey? What we're really asking is, God, would you just tell me your will for my life? Would you just tell me your will for my life? And I want to start in a passage that may seem not where we would normally go with this kind of a discussion. But I want to go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 3. So if you're using a Bible provided in the seats there in front of you, under your seat there, there are some Bibles. Uh, if you want to use one of those, it's page 744. So you can just turn to page 744. John chapter 3 and verse 3. 
John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, this being Nicodemus, who came to ask a question of Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again, John 3. That's what Jesus is saying to him is you must be born again. Let's pray and ask God to give us his wisdom this morning as we seek his word. Father, we thank you for meeting us here. We thank you that we, with all of creation, have been able to sing your praise this morning. You are worthy of every song, worthy of every note on every instrument that can be played for your glory. Lord, you are worthy and deserving of all of it and so much more. And Father, we are limited in our language. We're limited in our understanding to communicate the greatness and the vastness of who you are. Father, as was already saying this morning, we cry out for a softened heart. We cry out that you would grow our faith. That we would see that, yes, in our weakness, you are strong. Because, Lord, everyone in this room, myself included, we are all broken at times in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would come to know you. They would receive you for themselves. Your death, burial, and resurrection is a payment for their sin that they might come to know you. And as you said in John 14, that where you are, there we may be also with you. And so, Father, again, I pray that you would work and lead and guide in that area that someone here this morning would repent of their sin. Maybe somebody watching online would repent of their sin and trust in Christ. And Father, for the followers of Christ here today, those that know Christ, I pray that you'd help all of us to, to go deeper, Lord, to desire to engage your word more than just on a Sunday morning. And Lord, uh, just to be clear, obviously, any time we gather is a great blessing and a great time of encouragement and strength. And maybe there's some here this morning, Lord, that all they can do is attend Sunday morning. It's not a legalism thing, Lord. It's not meant to sound like we're not saved if we don't come to other services. But Lord, if it is possible that we can grow in community with one another, whether in a different service, whether in our homes, over a meal, Father, you'd help us to see those opportunities because, Lord, we're all on this journey. And we all, every one of us, have questions and doubts and confusions at times where we don't really get what you're doing and we're wondering if we're doing the right thing. And, Lord, that's why you put us in a body. That's why you put us in a church, that we might lean on one another and pray with and for one another and encourage one another. And that's why it's so important that we spend time together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, again, I pray that you would give us great wisdom and understanding by the moving of your spirit as only you can, that we would hear from you today in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to start with a simple answer to the question, what is God's will for my life? That's the question that many people will ask and have asked multiple times. We've talked about this off and on over the years. The first thing that you clearly have an answer on is the answer to that question is, you must be born again. That is God's will for your life. What do I mean by that? 
God is calling you to repentance. And in order to experience all that this life can be in Christ, you must know Jesus. You must know him. And it's not that we get saved to have a better life. We, we receive Christ so that we'll be able to live life, that we have life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. And we are quickened and made alive in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we receive him as our Savior, he indwells us with the Spirit of God and gives us life. And now we're able to see this world as it was intended to be seen as a product of our creator, one that designed the heavens for his glory and his praise, and we'll begin to live in a way in subjection to him, in honor to him, to glorify him, and to praise him, and ready to see him when we leave this world and spend eternity with him. You see, the, the will of God, if you're like, I just don't know what God would have for me to do, do you know him? That's got to be the first place we start. And if you're talking to somebody at work who's like, maybe says that phrase, well, I just want to know what God wants for my life. I just don't know what God has for me. I don't even know why I'm here. Don't start with their job. Don't start with their family. Don't start with their hobbies, their talents, their interests. Start with, have you been born again? Do you know Christ? Because if they don't know Christ, the rest of it will not make sense. But man, when we know Christ, things will begin to fall into place and order. We'll see order in our life. Where confusion was, there'll be order. And I'm not saying there's not going to be seasons where we're going to wonder and question, but when we know Christ, we'll have his wisdom, his spirit working in us, guiding us and leading us, his word before us that we can now understand. And man, there's going to be such peace. So when you're at a crossroads, and we'll talk about a minute here what that might look like, when we're at a crossroads and we don't know which way to go, we have peace to know, but you're going with me no matter where I go because I've been born again. Not by my works or my doing, but by your gracious initiation in my life. We love you because you first loved us. And so again, where do I start when I'm questioning the will of God for my life? I have to start with, have I been born again? Do I know Christ? Not do I go to church? Have I been baptized? Have I read the Bible through? Am I a good person? Are my parents saved? Do you know Jesus? And if you do, and you've given your life to him, and you've surrendered your life to him, now you can begin to address this area of the will of God for your life. So to fully understand God's will for our lives, we need to understand a couple things. And I'm going to try to be as clear as I can, but obviously, again, just giving a summary of these things. Because we could do a whole eight weeks on just the will of God for your life, and what the Bible says, and all of that. But the first thing to understand, and if you've taken notes, is God has two wills. And some of you may have heard this. I'm not going to go the direction some of you may have heard. Um, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree on some of this. But uh, God has two wills revealed in Scripture that we can read about. Okay? So um, the first will that we need to understand is God has a secret will. Not secret to him. It's secret to us. It's his decreative will is the way we would call that. But his secret will. What do I mean by the secret will of God? These are things that God has willed that have happened, will happen, will continue to happen that we are not made aware of purely because we're not God. This is called the, the God's will of decree. Why and how God decreed certain things to happen among creation in history past or in future events. God has existed fully and finally in this will since before the creation of the world. Again, it is the will of God in all things, 
which we cannot know because we are not God. I'll give you a couple of verses to jot down that we don't have time to turn to, but some verses to jot down. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. And Deuteronomy 29, 29. So Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. And Deuteronomy 29, 29. We are not God. That should have, I mean, amen, should have just erupted from the crowd. We are not God, and we should be very thankful we're not God. And the person sitting next to you should be very thankful that you're not God. Your spouse should be thankful you're not God. Because you would make a horrible God. I would make a horrible God. So we are not God. So therefore, there are things that God knows that we are not intended to know, and that's okay. And I truly think where people struggle the most with trying to figure out God's will for their life, they're really asking these kind of questions about things that we're not really supposed to know. We're not really given enough information to know. We see hints of things, and some of this is revealed in Scripture, and we praise God for it. But so many people spend time really battling with this unknown, and we're not supposed to know it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says it well. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So what do I do with this? That there's things that God is doing and has done that I can't know. I'm not supposed to know. We understand one clear teaching from Scripture. Everything God does is for his glory. And so if I don't get it, and I don't fully understand how this happened, and when this happened, and why this happened... I can just step back and say, God, I don't need to know. I do know it's for your glory. And I trust in that. Again, this is, I believe, where we struggle. We want to know why God dis- did this or that. Why he allowed this or that thing to happen in my life. When will this happen? Why hasn't this happened yet? When will this take place? And so on and so on. We are questioning the will of God in areas that we are not meant to know. This is, in my opinion, kind of the whole crux of the argument Job brought before the Lord. Now, we see a little bit of what was going on in the background of the book of Job, right? Or Job, depending on your pronunciation, okay? It's like Psalms or Psalms, okay? Whatever you, whatever you want to go with it, okay? Some of you are going to read Psalms and go, Psalms. Oh, no, no, it's Psalms, okay? Job's had no idea why these trials are being brought in his life. And if you read the end of the book of Job, he still doesn't know. God never goes, okay, Job, you've made it through. Here's the deal. And shows him chapter one. Like, here's what was going on in heaven. He doesn't do that. Because it wasn't for Job to know why these things were happening. What it was for Job to know is who was with him in the trials. And there's a beautiful part where, and I paraphrase it this way, Job basically is kind of arguing with God and kind of venting to God. God welcomes that. But when we vent to God, God may say something back. And now I'm not talking audibly. I'm talking about through his word. And you ever done that? You've been venting to God. You read a scripture and it's basically like putting you in your place spiritually. And you're like, thank you. I needed that. But Job gets to a point and he's kind of going off on God. And then God kind of responds more or less. Who do you think you are? And that's how I kind of read it. And there's a point where Job just says, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm just going to be silent. Because he realizes, I don't need to know why. I know the who. 
And I know you, God, and you are the God of all creation. You are the God that laid the foundations of the earth. And I was nowhere near present when you created the world out of your spoken word. And so, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. But I'm not, I'm not going to concern myself with that. I don't need to know. So there's some things that God wills, God has willed and will do, that we are just not intended to know. And we have to be okay with that because we're not God. So if there are things that we don't know and that God has left unknown to us, does that leave us hopeless? Do we have no way of knowing anything then? Do we just walk around blind and going, God, I distrust you and your glory will be done and I don't need to know? Has he given us no direction whatsoever? Well, he has given us some direction. So there's his secret will, the things that he wills, that he's decreed that we are not intended to know fully. However, there's also his will of command or his revealed will. His will of command or his revealed will. This is what God has decided to graciously make known to us. His will for our life is not something that is lost and we must find it. We say this, don't we? I just want to know the will of God. If I could just find the will of God for my life. I just wish I could know the will of God for my life. It's not lost. It's not like your car keys that you just can't find. Which you really realize when we get in the car, right? Don't you wish there was some kind of a system when you walk out of your door without your keys, a beeper would go off or a taser or something to get your attention? I've had that experience where I've left my keys on my desk in my office here. There are two locked doors between my vehicle and my office desk. So realizing when I get through those two locked doors where the keys are, not pleasant. Not a good moment, okay? Actually, the Lord has been very gracious because I am not very Christian in those moments, if I'm just being real. Like, Lord, really? Um, But this revealed will. It's not something we have to find. It's not something we have to search for. It's not something we have to like spend years and years and years kind of discerning these mystical moments. The word of God reveals to us some clear things about the will of God for our lives. And we can summarize his revealed will by looking into his word. And I want to give you one verse. Just one verse to give us an idea of where we're going with this. Now there's other verses that say specifically the will of God is this. The will of God is that. I want to give you one example that I think is a great summary verse for the will of God for our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. I'm just going to read the verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, we already established, how do I even begin the journey of knowing God's will for my life? Well, I must be born again. I must have a relationship with him as father. I must know him as my savior. So what then, now I know him, okay, I've received Christ and God has graciously saved me of no work of my own, but all the work of the cross and grace. So I fall on my face and I thank him for that. Now I get up from that prayer, that time of rejoicing. God, I know you as my savior. Now what would your will for my life be? And we go to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, your sanctification. Now I think this can unpack a few different ways, but I believe this is speaking to what our side of this looks like and what God's side of this looks like. And I think I'm doing okay by the text to do this. Tim Challies, uh, author and pastor, he says it this way. Through the many commands given to us in scripture, God tells us how we may be sanctified and how we may be ever more conformed into the image of his son. Why does God say, pray? Why does God say, pray without ceasing? 
Why does God say, study to show yourself approved unto God? Why does God say, make disciples, evangelize, worship, serve, and minister, and show hospitality? Why does God lay these things before the church and say, walk in these things, live in these things, be filled with the Spirit? Why does he do that? So that we will be made and conformed to the image of Christ. It's for our sanctification. We are made holy at the moment of salvation, completely holy in Christ. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. But praise God, we're still in this flesh and he needs to work on us some more. And we are fully holy in God's eyes. But in this side of heaven, he is sanctifying, present tense. He is conforming us and shaping us and molding us and removing this and pruning that and trimming this away so that we will begin to live in agreement with our current standing in heaven. I am holy by Christ in heaven. That is sealed and done. Now this side of heaven, because I'm in this flesh, I need him to sanctify me. I'm been made holy and I'm being made holy in my conversation, in my thoughts, in my actions. So why lay all this before us? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all things. This is the will of God for your life. Why? So that I will be sanctified and more like Christ. And we already said this. What's the purpose of being more like Christ? Why should I be more like Christ? So that God is glorified. So the glory of God is on display for all creation to see. And so again, let me continue with this quote here. Understand that we're being conformed this way. It is God's will, Tim Chalice goes on to say, it is God's will for each of us that we grow in holiness, that we grow in our knowledge and love of God, and that we let the love of God shine through us. As I grow in Christ and conform to the image of Christ, as you experience that, which is the will of God for your life, then that love, that grace will shine through you in other people's lives, and people will come to know Christ. And as they come to know Christ and they're born again and they're being sanctified, God is glorified and more people will come to Christ and more people will be sanctified and more people will glorify God. And even the world that rejects God, rejects Christ, will take note and say, these have turned the whole city upside down. And so what's God's will for your life? And I know what we're asking. We're asking for specifics. But I think we have to start here before we ever get to, God, do you want me to take this job or move over here? Because if we start at that end and work backwards, we'll think, if I don't pick the right house or I don't pick the right career, then I'm no longer sanctified. But if we keep it biblical, we realize we are sanctified, being sanctified. And therefore, if I'm in that mindset, seeking his word, and I'm using wisdom and discernment, then that decision will come and I will know what to do then. And sometimes, jump to the end just for a second, sometimes the decision is A or B and God's will is A or B. Should I move to this place and do this job or should I move over here and do this? God's saying, where are you going to serve me? Will you serve me here and not there? Or will you serve me in both places? Because if you serve me in both places and I'll use you in both places, you're fine. See, it's not a question of should I do this one big decision? It's what are the little decisions I'm making every day that's leading to that? And that's where I believe the will of God for our lives is much more, much more impactful, maybe is how I would say that, more, more practical in our understanding. So quickly, how do we uh, 
respond to his revealed will. We know there's a revealed will. We know he has a commands for us to conform us and sanctify us. So how do we respond to that practically? Uh, You can jot it down. Psalm 143.10. Psalm 143.10. Some of you just wrote that and said, Psalm. But Psalm 143.10. Lord, teach me to do your will. This is the cry of David. Lord, teach me to do your will. Notice David doesn't say, Lord, I've been looking for your will and I can't find it. Would you just show it to me? No, what does David say? Lord, I know what your will is. Don't teach me to understand it. Lord, teach me to do it. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my Christian life where I've thrown up the I don't know card. And really what I'm saying is I don't want to do it. God, if I just knew your will, I would do it. And God's in heaven going, no, you won't. Because I've, I've shown it to you in my word. You know what you need to do, and you're not doing it. You know you're supposed to make disciples and evangelize. You know you're supposed to be gathering with the house of, of, of God, with God's people worshiping. You know you're supposed to be discipling your spouse and your children. You know you're supposed to be nurturing your children in the admonition of the Lord. And you're not doing it. So why would you lie to me and say, if I showed you, you do it. I showed you, you ain't doing it. Now, I'm so glad God is a little more gracious in how he deals with me than that. That's how I... And by myself. But I got to imagine sometimes, man, we say that. Oh, Lord, if I just knew your will. It sounds real spiritual, but really we're kind of misleading, right? No, the psalmist says, teach me to do your will. Because we all struggle with the application of these things. And that's why there's grace. Because we all mess it. Miss it. We all blow it at times. We, we aren't doing everything we're supposed to do all the time. Obviously, we're imperfect. That's why we need grace. But we don't get to say grace, grace, grace. And meanwhile, the Spirit's saying, do this. I, this is where I'm leading you. And we ignore that and go, oh, thank you for your grace, Lord. I know I should be over there, but just thank you for your grace. There is a point where we have to make a decision to say, am I going to submit to the obedience of God's word and his authority in my life? Or am I going to keep walking in my own way? Because then what we're doing is we're walking in our will, not his will. And he'll give you the ability to do that, but then don't claim you don't know his will when you see things in your life being in chaos and disorder. And so how do we respond to his revealed will? Well, the first thing, again, we obey. We obey. We do what the word says. There is enough revealed in God's word to lead us in our everyday lives to give us principles and examples to guide us in how we can handle situations in our life. But there's also enough revealed in the word of God that we might serve and glorify God. There's enough revealed that we can know practically how to live this life, but there's also enough revealed that we can serve and glorify him. When we are wanting a clear answer on some area of our life and don't seem to be getting that clear answer, We're not hearing from him as we think we could or should from his word or from someone else in our lives or just the spirit moving. We just don't feel that connection. We don't just sit on our hands. We continue in the things that we know we're called to do and we patiently await him leading us and guiding us and directing us. We pray for wisdom. We stay in his word. We listen to the moving of the spirit. We, we ask other believers, we have conversations, we get them and ask them to pray for us for wisdom and guidance. And in the multitude of counselors, we look for wisdom and biblical guidance. And then ultimately, we trust the Lord in the decision that we make and we move on. We move on and we continue to serve him in the ways that he's led us. 
So we obey, we obey, and we obey by faith. We obey by faith. So what do I mean by that? We were never called to walk this life by sight. We were called to walk this life by faith. So what does that mean? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. That means, Lord, I believe you're leading me in this. I know this is the will for me in this moment. I know I need to do this, but I don't see it producing what I thought it would. I don't, I don't see this or that thing happening. I don't, I don't understand fully why this or that's happening. We continue to trust even if what we see strikes us as contrary to the word of God. We trust in faith. God, you are working and you are moving. That means when we find ourselves walking in the valleys of life, And want to question why, we remember by faith that God is good and making us more like Christ. God, why the trial? Why I'm doing what you're calling me to do. Why this? We stop and go, no, Lord, I know you're good. And I know you're conforming me to the image of Christ. Because the will for my your will for my life is to sanctify me and make me more like Christ. And so I'm gonna trust you even in the valley. I'm gonna trust that you're good even in this difficult time. Another author and pastor, Craig Groeschel, he said it best when he said this, I've learned that I experience Jesus better in the valleys than I do on the mountaintops. Man, when we're walking through those trials, we can grow so close to him. It may be that God is doing something in us when we are in the valley that he cannot do for us on the mountaintop. We need the valley to be where he wants us to be, to glorify him. We all have doubts. We all have times of wonder and questions and uncertainty in our lives. We all have times where we wonder why. But we don't follow Christ because we know every step we are going to take. We don't follow Christ because he reveals to us every single step we're going to take before we take it. We follow Christ because he is the one that has guaranteed our destination in himself through the cross. And so I don't know what that next step is. I've always loved the story of the children of Israel crossing away from Pharaoh's army, crossing the the Red Sea. And I love that the Bible says that the waters began to split when they stepped their foot down into the ground. Not before. God didn't spread the waters and go, okay, now you can see all the way to the other side, so go ahead and start walking. God said, no, when you plant that rod, when you step that foot down, that's when I'll begin to to part the waters. And so sometimes God is going to reveal that next step when you take that next step. Not before, but that's okay because we don't need to see the next step. We trust in the one that's leading us and guiding us. He walks with us no matter where the path leads. So we don't need to fear what is unknown to us on the path, but merely trust in the one that will never leave us or forsake us. We fulfill the will of God in our lives by giving thanks in all things. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So how can I give thanks in all things? I give thanks in all things because in all things he is sanctifying me to make me more like Christ for his glory. So I thank him for that because it's not me, it's him. I want to encourage you this morning. I know this question has so many applications and there's probably so many of you that are sitting like, yeah, but what about this situation? What about this and this over here? I get that. But I I want to encourage you, take it to him, get in the word, 
Surround yourself with other believers. Seek their counsel. And here's the thing too. Sometimes a good Christian friend will say, no, I don't think you should do that, but you know God is leading you to do it. Then that's when you say, I appreciate that, but I'm following the leading of my Lord. Because other people won't get it because it's not their call. So again, it may be great intentions and with great wisdom, they say, I just don't know. Then find a Christian friend that'll say, I don't know if this is right, but let's pray about it. And then together begin to seek the Lord on that. I want to give you one last verse as an encouragement because I know it's hard. Take heart. Life, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Man, it's such a all your hearts. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. How do I love him and trust him with my whole heart? Because I've been born again. Because he's sanctifying me and he's making me new. And he's given me his spirit to guide me. And he's given me his word to lead me. And a church to support me. And that's really, at the end of the day, that's what we need to see God's will for our lives. Would we pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds? As you bow right there where you are, I want to ask again that you would just take a moment to ask yourself, do you know Christ? Do you truly know him? Have you been born again? And if you're here today and you would say, I, I don't know that, then it's as easy as receiving Christ. And I should say it's easy for us in a sense. It's easy because it's the decision that we make in response to the great love that God has shown us because he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's easy in that it's open to anyone and everyone who would come for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's difficult in some ways because it requires us to, to lay down our pride, to lay down our arrogance and our self-righteousness, to realize that we cannot, we cannot enter his heaven on our own strength or merit. We need to humble ourselves and to receive the gracious gift of salvation, admitting our sins confessing our brokenness before God and receiving that he has done all for us. And so, yes, it's an easy thing to do, but it also can be very difficult. So I pray that if you're here today and you do not know Christ, that you would realize that no matter what you've done, where you've gone, what choices you've made, your story can start anew today. And he can save you and make you a new creation. And you will look back and see Years that you think are broken years and wasted years, but then you'll realize in Christ there's no such thing as a wasted moment because he will take all things and use them for his glory and for our blessing. Even those things that we know we shouldn't have done, he does not approve of them or condone of them, but somehow, and I don't understand how, he will use those moments for his glory when we surrender them to him as well. Maybe you're here today and you've been questioning the will of God for your life. I would just encourage you to come this morning and pray and say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to be in your word. Help me to seek you. Help me to develop a, a lifestyle of worship and engaging with you. And all these things, we just pray for him to be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise team leads to the song of worship? We invite you to come and pray whatever God is doing, whatever God is leading in your heart and mind. Maybe you'd come and pray. Say, God, I surrender to you. Thank you for leading me. Whatever it is, would you respond?